I don't know what love is. Two words I don't like to use is love and sorry because I'm about hate. That's Tommy Lynn Sells. Yikes. I know. There's going to be a lot of yikes in this episode. This is Jen. This is Becky. And this is Too Close to Home. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about Tommy Lynn Sells. And right off, the name doesn't usually ring a bell, but he has done a lot of like interviews on Death Row Spoiler, he dies, thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so shout out to Jennifer for, not me, Jennifer, but another Jennifer for recommending this one. It was uh, definitely interesting to read into. So let's start out with my sources. Wikipedia, uh, Most Evil Season 1, Episode 2, and Through the Window, the terrifying true story of cross-country killer Tommy Lincells by Diane Fanning, which was the hardest damn book I've ever had to fucking listen to in my entire life. There mm. was like, and then you're like trying to write details and quotes, and then you're like repeat, like having to hit rewind, and you're like, oh god, this is so hard. It never gets easier. That's how it was when I did Brandy Craft, and I had to keep listening to the details over and over, pause, rewind. Then someone will come in and say something like, I can't listen to this again. Y'all have to leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I need to get a one and done. Yeah, one and done. There's a, like a very famous case that he's associated with. That most people start out with that story, but I'd rather start with his beginnings because I think a lot of it, he's like serial killer soup if I've ever seen it in my <laughs> life. Like everything you, that can go wrong did go wrong in his case. So he was born in Oakland, California, June 28th, 1964, and his mother was Nina Sells and his father was William Sells publicly. Not his biological father. Mm, okay. Um, his real father, supposedly, and this is not like a for sure thing. I don't know if anyone's done any. Well, I mean, obviously he hasn't. He's dead. But no ancestry DNA been done here. But supposedly his real father was Joe Lovins, which was a shitty car salesman. <laughs> and he had preyed upon his adopted or supposed real father, William Sells, and was like, oh, saw he was in like this debt situation. And he was like, I'll pay off your debts for you, but I'm going to hold it over your head. Mm. <laughs> and he was the one who gave Sells one of his favorite taglines Dead men tell no tales. And it's I, true. It's true. It's not just a pirate thing. It's not. Sells and his twin sister, Tammy Jean. Con contracted meningitis when they were 18 months old. Tammy got sick first and she went, they took her to the doctor and they were like, oh, this is a classic case of pneumonia, except it wasn't. Pneumonia? How do you confuse the two? Anyway, carry on. Uh, the you know what I've learned from our podcast is like these doctors were just wiling. You know what I mean? Like, wiling out. Let me just have this. Let me use my dartboard. Pneumonia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So they ended up taking her to the hospital, but it was too late, and she passed away. Well, simultaneously, Tommy started getting really sick, and they took him straight to the hospital, and they were saying the same thing. Like, no, this is pneumonia. And she's like, bitch, you done killed one of my kids. Right. So she goes to another hospital, and by the time they get to the other hospital, all his symptoms go away. And somehow he survived meningitis, supposedly. But this is, again, in the 60s, so. Because the devil don't even want him. The devil don't even want him. After he got sick, his mother had to move. Like, they had to move houses. And so his Aunt Bonnie ended up taking him in for a couple weeks, right? Was just going to watch him. Well, it ended up stretching out into two years. That's a long-ass babysitting adventure. Mm-hmm. But um, the good thing about it was that it's, like, the best person that the nicest person that he had ever had in his life. And he looks back at that part of his life as the most pleasant, happiest memories. He speed, uh, received a lot of love and attention from his cousins, Kathy and Sandy. And once that two-year mark hit, and Bonnie and the girls loved him so much, and he was just definitely a part of their family at that point, she asked to get uh, to legally adopt him. And then Nina was like, you ain't adopted my child. And she took him back. And then that's where things get darker. 
He had nothing but the short end of the stick for his childhood. At age seven, he started drinking alcohol. It's about the same time I did. I'm right. That's not normal. No, oh, that's okay. not normal. <laughs> I was just thinking, like J.K. J.K. <laughs> how how old is Emma? She's seven, right? Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine her walking around drunk? No, ma'am. <laughs> Robux. <laughs> she asks me right now, is that a, a adult drink that you're having? It is. It, she's not like, can I have a swig? <laughs> Camilla used to be inquisitive. I'd be like, all right. And I would take her a little like dip her finger in and put it in her mouth. Hated it. Yeah. Most children would that got their hands on it. Exactly. He was like the opposite. Went, Fuck it. Let's go. And I think it was like he was born in 64. So this would have been like the early 70s. I'm sure they had drinking laws at that time of being like 18. So like you're getting ahead of the curve. <laughs> His attendance at school became terrible. No, no surprise. He probably was hungover. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> and he became uh, one of the really bad kids that would bully other children. Like, obviously, this kid's had a fucked up life. So I'm going to take out all my anger and frustrations that I have against these adults and not every child that's abused does this, but some do. Like, they end up taking it out on the children around them because they're weaker. At eight years old, he met a man in the nearby town, and they became close, taking trips, and he would buy him things. He would teach, you know, teaching him how to shoot. And days, he would go over to his friend's house, his older friend's house, and hang out for a couple of days. And days would turn into weeks and Nita would have to go over and be like, can he come home now? And he would flat out refuse. Tommy did not want to leave his house. He loved being there. And eventually he moved in with this man. And this at this time, Tommy would be like bragging. He'd have like a pocket full of cash. Be like, look what this man gave me. Turns out Clark was a pedophile. Nah, I had a feeling that was coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, what do they call it when you're Stockholm syndrome in a way? Mm-hmm. At 10 years old, he starts smoking pot, which I feel like is like a step down from being a raging alcoholic at seven. At 11, his father passes away, his non-biological father. And so he ends up moving in with his grandma Brown on his mother's side. And this is where he starts getting fucking weird. Uh, One time she was laying in bed and he was around 13 years old and he came in her room butt ass naked and got in her bed. Or tried to get in her bed. And she was like, you, and this is a quote that she said, you better get your ass out of this bed and stop this shit. She sounds like my spirit animal. Right? <laughs> get out of this bed and you stop this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Later that year, he went to visit his mother and brother because she was he was staying with his grandma. He would go down the street to go visit him. And he, one day he went over to their house and they were gone. They fucking up and moved and left him. Oh. Okay. She had apparently gotten married to a man from Michigan and they all went to Michigan without him. Well, mm-hmm. that's traumatic. Later that week, he pistol whipped a, a lady to get, because he was fucking angry. And he, that's, he was constantly taking things out of people. Very super fucking angry. And at 14 years old, he sets out on his own. I want to preface the stories that I'm going to go into about his victims because Tommy was known to lie, have inconsistent stories. He had confessed. Shocking. Yeah. He confessed to 70 plus murders, but all the details are vague and many have an unknown date, victim or location. So it just sounded like guessing. With being largely ignored in his childhood, getting that attention he received from the police and just basking in it reminds me of Henry Lee Lucas, the confession killer. You know how he went on trips all around the United States um, saying, oh, I killed this. I killed this person. I killed this person. Just soaking it up. He was kind of doing the same thing. On July 6, 1979, at 3 a.m. outside of Port Gibson, Mississippi, Tommy snuck into a home of a sleeping family and stabbed the father and left the scene quickly. The story of that is that the father woke up bleeding like shocked you know 
before he could do anything. Like he went and woke up his wife. His son had been sleeping with him on the couch. Before they could realize what was happening, he died. Oh. Yeah. There was nothing stolen and no indication of anything like financially motive, like um, he wasn't being robbed. Uh, he was a chairman of the church board and no one knew why somebody would kill him. Tommy later on would say that uh, he had peeked in the window. He was going to rob the house. He peeked in the window and saw the man molesting his child. Most likely a lie. Sometimes he just hurt to hurt people. He would get in dust ups and uh, would stab and run. One time he stabbed a guy with an ice pick and that man actually survived. And, you know, Tommy, he just assumed like he had died because the guy went down and pretended bed, which is pretty smart. You know, it's risky, but smart. Uh, only to find out later on the man had not died. He had survived. He got in a gang fight in 1980 and he stabbed a guy. But then he got stabbed in the back that just narrowly missed his spine. Missed his spine. Mm, shame. I know. The nurse, when he was in the hospital, the nurse tried to insert a catheter and he lost his shit. Uh, she said, hey, we got to do this because you're bleeding into your kidneys. And he, she was thinking, well, maybe it's because I'm a female nurse. So she calls the um, oh, male, the male nurse. nurse. That was worse, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he gets in there and he was like, oh, no, fuck that. Fuck that. He left against the advice of a, a doctors and then he hitchhiked to St. Louis to his mother's home. It took 49 hours for him to hitchhike there. And she apparently nursed him back to health. He, he was also known for being super promiscuous and his mother's nickname for him was her little whore. That is precious. <laughs> right? You little whore, you. <laughs> what i call my kids too it's a couple of sluts yeah <laughs> sluts whores <laughs> bitches one morning in the early 1980s nina was taking a shower and suddenly she heard the door open and close and the shower curtain started to move she turned around and it was tommy butt-ass naked <laughs> trying to get in the shower with her don't even got anything for that. She lost her shit, obviously. You know, this was not the porn he hoped it to be. She was like, oh, what the fuck? And he left. He was admitted to an outpatient mental cl clinic for uh, the assault on his mother. And the therapist discovered a very angry and volatile man. He felt unwanted and unloved. And that and he believed that was the cause of his family's problem. He was the cause of his family's problem. Sad and in pain, he wanted to inflict it on others so he could get some relief from that pain. He abused drugs and alcohol, and that he had conduct disorder under socialized, and he had under socialization and a bunch of aggression. Just serial killer soup. He, they recommended that he would attend regular sessions of counseling, and he did for five sessions and then quit. Hmm. That sounds like that would cure him. Right? Fix it all right up. In 1982, he had a son with Cindy, Cindy Hannah in Arkansas, who was his first love. Uh, her father hated him, and it had a lot to do with Tommy robbing the family's grocery store prior to the relationship. <laughs> it's enough to say, with the, the cojones of this motherfucker, I'm going to rob you, and then I'm going to bang your daughter. And get her pregnant. Don't forget that part. <laughs> and now you're related. <laughs> <laughs> he confessed later on to two murders in this time frame one was verified but not entirely true he wanted it to break into a home and, and and that's all in that the homeowner happened to be home and that's the one where he thought he had killed him mm. after he had chased the victim and stabbed him and ran another one was tommy and an accomplice kidnapped a woman seven miles south of little rock and raped and murdered her i'm going to tell you this book fucked me all the way up so many times because the guy who narrated it sounded like he was having a good time <laughs> and there was a lot of unnecessary like ways of describing like you don't have to describe there's no no need for 30 billion adjectives to describe this moment of terror so I wanted to read you a little excerpt that I was like I've sat there with my jaw fucking open 
The trilling songs of birds and the rustle of leaves caressed by a breeze provided a harmonic backdrop to the screams of a tormented young woman. When they were both through with her, the scent of fear, seminal fluid, and blood overwhelmed the fresh fragrance of the forest. Girl, yes. In the Randy Craft book, there was a lot of stuff like that, too, where, like, are, I felt like, are you just trying to fill word space here? Are you trying to make chapters and you ain't got enough information? I don't know what's going on here. Are you trying to romanticize like, this? Because this is not romantic. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is, like, so unnecessary. Like, not only is his act making me want to vomit, now the words that this author is writing is making me want to die. Mm-hmm. So uh, they ended up throwing her body in a water-filled rock quarry after, you know, that beautiful description of the rape. Uh, <laughs> then he stayed stationary for a time in 1983 in Edmondson near the St. Louis-Missouri border, getting lots of traffic tickets, you know. And it he is called the coast-to-coast killer because he would literally fucking jump on a train and just go to another town, which I'm like, I can't even fathom what that's like nowadays. Train cars aren't fucking left open. How are you hitching a ride on this bitch? Maybe he legitimately bought tickets. Duh. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever he would get these kind of things, that they're talking in the book like, okay, this was verified because he was here because he got a traffic ticket. So there's a lot of situations where I'll talk about things that don't seem like they make sense, but there are things that help turn the tide, whether it's factual or not. He also killed a woman and her four-year-old son during that time, and a man matching the description was seen fleeing the scene by the husband of the woman and the son. Oh, that's Husband of the woman and father of the son. In 1984, he was arrested in Benton, Missouri, and where he was sentenced to two years in the penitentiary for stealing a Ford Mustang. His daughter was born during that time. The mother was Nicole Snow. He entered the Missouri State Pen, a.k.a. The Walls, a.k.a. God's bloodiest 40 acres on Earth in September of 1984. And those are legit names for that penitentiary. That sounds rough. Right? You want to work there, don't you? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's a no soup. He left in February 1985, and by July, he had already taken, um, he had already stolen another car and entered rehab. So, like, this motherfucker's just going. He just don't give a shit. His mother, though, ratted him out uh, where he was. So he fled the rehab center. Just a few short days later, a woman or five-year-old boy were killed because Tommy was angry. Ina Court brought her son to a carnival in Forsyth, July 26, 1985. She met Tommy that night, and he came over. He excused himself to the bathroom. And while he was in the bathroom, she started going through his backpack trying to see, like, who is he? Okay, honey. You should have known who he was before you invited him over. Exactly. Now you brought this drifter and you're digging through his shit. This isn't going to end well. No. First off, drifter. Yeah. He came out and he saw her and he assumed that, you know, obviously she was trying to steal his cocaine. As one would do. And he flew into a rage and he beat her with her son's baseball bat. And then sliced her neck with a knife from the kitchen. He also beat Willie, Ina's son, and sliced his throat. He often remembered Lovin's words, dead men tell no tales. And that's one thing that's an MO for him. He does not like to leave witnesses whatsoever. And one of the things that struck me about his interviews is that he loved the feeling of knives going across skin and kill- and cutting. Mm. So, like, slashing throats will happen over and over again. Uh, it's one of his favorites. In September of that year, Tommy wrecked his car under the influence and with two in- underage girls. He was arrested, but the charges related to the girls were dropped, and he was transferred for parole violation and served out the rest of his sentence until Ma- May 16, 1986. After leaving prison, Sells began working for Atlas Towing in St. Louis, Missouri. He met and married Sandy. One night, he was preparing a vehicle of a stranded motorist, and supposedly the motorist kicked him unwarrantedly, and so he shot him and left him for dead. He was erased. The guy just walked up and kicked him. Yeah, just like, fuck it. You're helping me out. Boom. (laughs) 
Okay, cool story, bro. To add insult to injury, um, he ended up getting arrested later that night for stealing the light from one of the tow trucks from his company, and then the charges were dropped, and then he began his nomadic moves in the U.S. So he got caught by the police just hours after committing that murder. Mm. He landed in Aransas Pass, Texas. You know where that is? Mm-mm. It's near Corpus Christi. Okay. So too close to home. <laughs> And he got a job with Gulf Team Shrimp, and they would go out in 30-day stretches for fishing and then come home. He was a very bad drug addict, and he loved every kind of drug. And one night at sea, the one of the, his mates on the boat found him OD'd on a heroin, needle in his arm still, not even fully injected. And they were like, well, shit, we're like two days out from shore like we can't he might die like we just don't have the medical equipment necessary to handle an od in the middle of the fucking ocean while i'm shrimping right Right? somehow he fucking survived of course because the devil don't want him Mm -hmm. and that ended his fishing career (laughs) shocking (laughs) he started trekking around the u.s again going where the wind blew killing and committing crimes he may have killed Two women during this time period, 19-year-old Michelle Xavier and 20-year-old Jennifer Dewey in Fremont, California in 1986. One was shot in the head and the other's throat sliced and they were both found off Mill Creek Road. And he was in that area, so that's one of those ones that they're like, I'm pretty sure he did that. In April 1987, he got off a train in New York near Niagara Falls and Lockport. Susan Quirks was fighting with her boyfriend, Michael Mendel, in a local bar. And she left angry, walking in the opposite direction of their home. And then disappeared. And there was no activity on her credit card, her bank accounts. She didn't show up to work. She did not call her family. She disappeared. And she was missing for years and presumed dead until they found her body near a canal. A plant worker was clearing brush and he thought he saw some trash, but then discovered a human skull. She had been buried near a railroad trestle in a shallow grave. And it had flooded out in that area and it washed her body up. Cause of death, obviously unknown because she's skeletal remains at this point. In May 3rd, uh, on May 3rd, two days after her disappearance, Tommy woke up two states over with the blood all over his clothes. Wonder how that happened. <laughs> he stopped in Humboldt Ca- County, Nevada for a time. And it, that area is like a super desolate mining area. Just a lot of abandoned mines, active mines, desert. Okay. Ma- imagine desert, change nothing. It's exactly what that is. It was pitted with hot springs uh, in those abandoned mines. And he became a roofer in Winnemucca, Nevada for Raymond LaFoy Roofing Company. He passed the bad check November 28, 1987, and on the 30th, he sold a, stole a handgun and a bank bag from his boss and used his boss's credit card to rent a hotel for another woman. <laughs> like, he no fucks. He just doesn't give a shit. I'm going to give you my social security number and work for you as a company, and then I'm going to fuck you over. Mm. I, gotta, I don't know what he looks like. I got to look while you carry on. Oh, yeah. I need a face. And look, look for him at his uh, young picture. He'll have like really dark hair and a dark beard. He looks like an asshole. Stephanie Stroh had just returned from Europe at that's around this time period, and she started her dream of backpacking all over the country. You know, so she had backpacked all over in the United, all over Europe, and let's go on and do the United States and hitchhike around. She had a friend with her until Salt Lake City and called her parents collect, which she did daily, on October 15th in Wells, Nevada, which is very close to Winnemucca where he was staying. Saying she would be home in just a few days, she was about to have, like, she was going to end her tour. He found her in Winnemucca as she searched for lodging and picked her up as a hitchhiker going to Reno because she couldn't find any um, open lodging in Winnemucca. She was like, and someone's told her, like, oh, well, Reno's got a lot more there so you might want to see if you make it up that way and god bless her she hitchhikes and meets this motherfucker near lovelock he stopped off the highway and offered her lsd to which she obliged and then he strangled her to death and in the stolen truck he was in there was a tub and quick me- quick mix concrete and so he 
he pulled her to the end of the truck, put her feet into the tub, and poured concrete, allowing it to harden overnight. And then he drug her and her belongings over to a 30-foot-wide hot spring, which was, you think about hot springs, people bathe in them, but there are hot springs that are too dangerously hot. too yeah. hot, and this was one of those. Well, and a lot of them have uh, sulfur in them, mm-hmm. too. Well, and, maybe they all do. I don't know. Anyway, carry on. Well, I mean, nobody wants a Becky and Jen science lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody. Mine's based off a movie. What was that one where it's like the with uh, Pierce Brosnan and he's like a seismologist and there's like hot springs. And what's that movie? Dante's Peak. Thanks, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I could think because there was those two people that went in there and then I guess the sulfur got them. You know what I mean? They died. FYI, this would be an excellent time for one of Jimmy's fun facts to come in later during editing where he explains what a hot spring is consisting of. And oh, yeah. You know what we were texting about the fun facts? That's, yeah, you were supposed to be doing that. You ready for a fun fact, Jimmy? Jimmy's fun facts. A hot spring is a spring that is produced when geothermally heated groundwater emerges from the Earth's crust. Some hot springs have waters that are cool enough for bathing, but in volcanic areas, water may come into contact with rock that has been heated by magma. Magma. And that was a fun fact by Jimmy. (laughs) Just a little breather, a little refresher. FYI, I never knew that hot springs were heated by magma. I never want to get in one again. Oh, yeah. Woo. So during this, she stopped giving her nightly collect calls to her family. And they freaked out and reported her missing because she was very loved. And based on the deduction of hitchhiking, they assumed that she crossed the state line, which brought in the FBI. They interviewed everywhere in Winnemucca and Reno to no avail. And the FBI interviewed scores of people in the area where she may have been. Her family exhausted many resources till they contacted a psychic that said, she would be at the bottom of a well in a four-syllable town named town with her feet in concrete. And I want to know who that psychic is right now. Right now. Right now. <laughs> right now. However, her body was never found, and on November 3rd, he left town. And November 17th, on November 17th, Tommy arrived in Ina, Illinois. The Dardine family rented a trailer that was up for sale, catching um, Tommy's eyes. There are three versions on how he came into contact with them or how this happened. And they all come from Tommy. (laughs) So what you're telling me is they're all very reliable. Very. So reliable. Um, One was Keith Dardine was hitchhiking. Another was he picked him up um, in a pool hall. And then Keith made a pass at him. And so Tommy was like, fuck no, man, I'm straight. And then killed him. Um, And then another one was he knocked on the door and forced his way in. And that's the one I actually believe. Same. Mm -hmm. He had stolen a, he had a stolen gun with him. He knocked on the door stating that he was interested in buying the trailer saying, and of course Keith was like, I don't own this. You're going to have to call the owners and we're not interested. And they all felt like something was off with him anyways. Well, then he starts pushing himself in uh, while Keith's wife, Elaine, and son, Peter, looked on. He grabbed Peter and put a gun to his head while Keith was ordered to get something to bind them both. Keith bound Elaine and Peter, and then Tommy and Keith went for a ride. So he just, like, left them in the house. They pull off, um, they pull over somewhere, and Tommy shoots him in the mouth and then pulls his penis out of Keith's pants and cuts it off, stating... I'm going to show your wife this and then shot him to death. That's highly disturbing. He returned to their home and unbound Elaine to rape her. He threatened to kill Peter if she fought back. Peter, profusely crying, Tommy took the child to spat and beat him to death because he was ruining the mood. He then hit Elaine and sent her into premature later labor to which she birthed a three-pound baby while he watched on. He took a knife and cut her and then turned to the baby and killed her with the bat and then did the same thing oh to Elaine. Then sexually assaulted her with the, her, her corpse with the bat, leaving it inside of her. He went into cleaning mode, cleaning all the duct tape off their bodies, the puddles of blood, wiping all his fingerprints. Then he took Keith's car and left because he dumped Keith out. Or no, he didn't dump. Yeah, he dumped Keith out. 
Um, the next day when he didn't show up, Keith's supervisor called his father as it was very out of character. And Keith's parents met the cops at the residence where they found all but Keith's body because he was dumped earlier. And so they immediately thought Keith killed them and left. The next, um, the next thing that happened was his mother was interviewed by the police and they asked her about the baby. And she was very confused. She's like, there was no baby. What baby? Not knowing that she had went into premature labor and gave birth to this baby. They ended up finding um, Keith's mutilated body in the woods the next night. And then his car was found near a police station in Benton, Illinois, causing mass fear uh, amongst the residents. Some thought it might have been satanic due, due to the baby being there and hurt. Keith's mother tried hard to get this case solved, asking Oprah and America's Most Wanted. Both rejected her story as it was too gruesome and too cold for them to develop a profile of the killer. But America's Most Wanted eventually um, did air an episode on it, but no leads, successful leads were tied to this. Sells at this point took a job on a road construction project, I-75 in Florida, to get away from the area. His legal father dies during this time. And so this is one of my favorite parts. And I wish he had ugh, I wish it had gotten worse. With working on a highway in Florida, what are you going to be in? Possibly a swamp. And he was waist deep in that Florida tea water. <laughs> and a snake swam past him. And he was like, nope, mm -mm, I'm done. I'm out. He left. And he went for to St. Louis because he was like, I can't, I got to get away from that. I mean, as one would. I, I wish that moccasin would have fucking ate him up. He was arrested for car theft as soon as he got to St. Louis. Um, in September of 88, he went to New Hampshire where Melissa Ann Tremblay, 11, disappeared. She had been seen with a man in need of a shave in a rusty tan van. And if you ever see a child with a man who looks pretty disheveled, in a van, go ahead and assume the worst. Go ahead and call the cops. What's the worst? You embarrass somebody and be like, I'm just trying to be preventative. You know what I'm saying? Later on, she was found face down on the train tracks in Lawrence, Massachusetts on September 12th. She'd been sexually assaulted and stabbed. Then her body was at the end of a 65 feet length of blood showing that she had struggled. Her body was ran over by a freight train desecrating her body further so it made it harder to investigate the case later on um in salt lake city this that little girl where else did she i feel like she the killer that i did they thought where was she killed at again new hampshire okay never mind where have i come across her before maybe she's on my list of people to do a unsolved on sorry maybe in salt lake city that fall a woman with her three-year-old son fell in love with Tommy. He put them to work making making them hold signs on the side of the road that read, Homeless and Hungry. That Please help. That is a dream man. For some reason, JJ has yet to make me and the kids go hold signs on the <laughs> side of the road. But if he really loved me, he would. He would. He would. <laughs> he uh, taught the boy how to look extra sad to get extra money. See? JJ hasn't taught us that either. Nope. Not one time. He took them on a trip a few weeks later to Idaho near the Snake River, to which they never returned. He later confessed that he killed them and dumped them in the river with his pockets full of panhandling money. So he used them. He's disgusting. A absolutely. In mid-December, he went to Tucson, Arizona, and he met another homeless man, Kent Allen Watson. Tommy sold him pot with a promise to pay later, and later on, he got in an argument with him. Tommy cold-cocked him and was surrounded by Watson's friends, and he retreated. He snuck it that night and murdered Kent. So it's like, no matter what, I did, there's no significant profile that he goes after. It's just anybody, anybody in his path. On December 18th, the young boy wandered into a homeless encampment to gather sand that for his grandfather. I don't know why he was gathering sand. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but okay. And he found Kent's body. And by then, Tommy was in San Bernardino, California. And he would do that. He would commit a crime, jump on a train. Is the train going west? 
I mean, that's how he got away with it for so long. Mm-hmm. He headed north to Berkeley um, January twenty seventh, 1989, and he got into an argument with a ticket agent at a train station, which, of course, a report was made nailing his presence in the area. He later claimed that the murder of a young prostitute, or sex worker as they are now called, in the area in a drug deal gone bad, and police found a body close to where he said he dumped her. He made it up to Roseburg, Oregon. Is that where your mom lives? That's where my mom lives. <laughs> my mom and dad live there. <laughs> and worked at a mom and pop woodcutting business and lived with a local couple. Tell your mom, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't bring anybody in. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He claimed he had kidnapped a long-haired girl in her 20s and raped and murdered her. And he also claimed he killed another hitchhiker who supposedly tried to steal his dope. He left both bodies in the forest where he cut wood. For this job he stole from a charity the charity tub though was arrested for theft <laughs> and after serving 15 days he left east to arkansas august 16 1989 he was arrested in little rock and somehow the charges got dropped and he headed to montana then oakland california followed by tucson then phoenix then salt lake sake salt lake city then wyoming for an extended stay in prison just bouncing no rhythm, no rhyme, a lot of time to the same states. But in Rawlings, January 1990, he stole a truck and was caught trying to catch a train. On February 2nd, he, his lawyer demanded that he be assessed for his mental health. So he went to the Wyoming State Hospital for 30 days. They noted that he was a 25-year-old male that looked like Charles Manson. He did in that young picture. He did. With a flat mood, bizarre train of thought, hearing voices, and was clearly deranged. He was put on, this is, I've, I broke all this medicine down because I wanted your opinion as a nurse on this. Because uh, this was in 1989, so definitely, probably different now. He was put on Thorazine, but he had a terrible drug history and went into withdrawals, which can cause psychotic episodes, to which he was prescribed 5 milligrams of Haldol, which is a antipsychotic, and 5 milligrams of Cogentin, for tremors. Mm-hmm. So cogentin goes along with sight drugs because sight drugs sometimes cause that um, extra movements that people mm, get. You've probably yeah. seen like the commercial where the lady talks about my mental. So cogentin combats that and is supposed to help prevent mm. that from happening. Still use cogentin, still use halidol, still use thorazine, just not as often. Oh, yeah. He was di- diagnosed with depressive order, disorder, extreme drug and alcohol dependency, personality disorder with antisocial borderline and schizoid features. Just a real delight. He was returned to jail in March, and the doctor stated he was able to comprehend his condition, understand the charges at hand, and be able to work with counsel. He was competent to stand trial, even though he is mentally ill, and will remain competent in the future, even in the absence of any treatment for his mental health. It's true. It may seem like to you that it's not. But to me, it was was like. He was schizoaffective, right? Yes. So not schizophrenic. They're different. Yeah. Schizoid features. Yeah. So they're very different. Mm -hmm. It's not your typical, like you think, the guy out there who's like tap dancing on the side of the road and he thinks he's, you know. Right. And the three ring circus. Your schizoaffective or schizo features is completely different than that. They're just like you and I, except they're just a little not right in their head. But they are completely. They can come like to my sick call when I see see them and tell me their whole medical history, what's wrong, why they think they need to take this, that. I mean, it's just like you and I having a conversation, except they're more easy to anger, in my opinion. In my oh, see, that makes them. a lot of sense, though. And they're very like, no, I said I need this. That's and like that, that's it. That's the bottom line. That's how it is. And um, which is how he was exactly. Mm, that makes see, but I they're hundred percent with it, insane wise. See, that makes more sense because I was very confused by reading that. I was like, without drugs, though? (laughs) Yeah. And most of them don't take drugs. A lot of them don't because they just don't like the way it makes them feel. Yeah. Uh, He was later taken to the hospital with tremors and he was diagnosed with an anxiety attack. It happened again later and it was worse this time. He was unable to speak clearly and they changed his medication to 25 milligrams of Elevil, which is an antidepressant, 80 milligrams of Enderol SR for hypertension, and then he was later prescribed 50 milligra- milligrams, followed by opening up to 100 milligrams of Meloril, an antipsychotic, and 25 milligrams of Valium for anxiety. The Meloril I've never heard of. 
I have either. Everything else I have, though. But I'm also not psychotic that I know of. That diagnose. Diagnosed. You're not diagnosed with it. Uh, doesn't mean it doesn't exist, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> I had hope. Uh, he was a model prisoner, even though he... And he even got certified as a barber, which I cannot think of anything I would like to do less than a man who obviously <laughs> is very quick to anger than give him a pair of scissors. <laughs> or a straight razor. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it's going to be a no for me. <laughs> he also worked in the leather shop as well as being an outside trustee at a forestry center, which put him in direct contact with public. But remember, they don't know that he's a violent killer. That's true. They do not know this. They just think, he was there on some other shit. They didn't know that he killed people all across had, the United this, States. For this one, he had been caught uh, after he stole a truck. So that makes sense. Yeah. They were like, this he's, they just, think he's a nonviolent offender at this right. point. See? That's why we do this together. The more you know. <laughs> In January 1991, he was released from custody and he began traveling again. In Mariana, Florida, December 9th, 1991, 25-year-old Teresa Hall was at a Christmas parade with her 5-year-old Tiffany. They went to their home in Cypress, Florida that evening when the door was kicked down. It was Tommy, and he ended up breaking a table and using the leg of it to bludgeon them both to death. For no apparent reason? I think he followed them from the um, parade. And he just wanted to attack her. Gotta watch all around you. Mm -hmm. Keep that 360. All the time. Head on a swivel. For real. Not victim blaming at all. No. No, but it's it's scary. There's nothing more precious than you and your daughter going to a Christmas parade and coming home. And it is so sad that. Such a delightful night turned into that. When When she did not show up for work and no one answered, they called her mother. And her mother went home to find them dead. Her husband, Ryan Ryan Hall, came home from working in Georgia that evening and was cleared of murder. The original suspected railroad killer, who also at this time was catching railroad uh, and trains and just hopping all over the United States killing people. His name was Angel Madarino Resendez. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know about him? No. Oh. Only from, like, the the, like, because they... They go back and forth like one will claim this and the other one because he also claimed a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. that might not necessarily have been him. Yeah. He he just hopped trains and like basically like the closest home he went and killed people and then he'd hop back on the train. What the rationale? Well, yeah. there's no rationale, but like. He didn't have a lot of rationale for his murders either. Yeah. Cells actually ended up claiming that one. We're like, he didn't kill. I killed them. In March 14th, 1992, he's arrested in Charleston, South Carolina, and he leaves uh, for West Virginia. On May 13th, he lands in Charleston, West Virginia, and Fabian Witherspoon, 20 years old, was headed home when she saw a rough-looking man panhandling. She brought him home! Why, people? Why? He had given her, like, understand. this whole song and dance about that he was hungry. And I don't care. I, I know. Bring him up a, a pot pie back and drop it all off. Yeah. Or just ignore him. If he looks... Sometimes, Jennifer. <laughs> I'm not saying, sometimes you will. Do like I do, ignore them all. <laughs> I don't I ignore mean, them all, no but judgment like, I do if you've ever been in Philadelphia and see some of those people, they're obviously mentally or have an addiction and they're not in, like some panhandlers are. Baby, I don't need to go to Philly. I can go to downtown Houston and Tent City and see it. There's some of them that are like, you can tell like they just had a hard time and they ended up out here. They might have, you know. Be an alcoholic or whatever, you know, things that's that, so PC of you. I know it's very PC. But then like there's some that you're like, oh, this is a mental illness situation. Like the guy who like basically climbed on top of my car the other day cleaning it. And I was like, please get off and get out of the way. So like I if they're go. rubbing shit on the side of themselves, you yeah. know, like maybe not in there. Like and he I never even came and asked for money. He just climbed on my car and started cleaning. I was like, what do I do? Well, you know what? It needed cleaning. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> that's not what I said at all. I was like, please go away. <laughs> One time I was, uh, I got out of high school and I went to an art school, but the art school was in the middle of like the ghetto. Like it was bad. And it was a like they hired private security to, and all the doors and gates were locked where people couldn't come in, go out of campus. You had to have someone unlock the gate to leave early. Sounds fun. So my dad was like, hey, so I don't have to wait in car line. Meet me under the overpass. And the overpass was I-95. I go over there, 
Like, not today, And this Satan. man walks up and he's holding his ear and he turns around, takes his hands down and goes, my ear fucked up. And it was bleeding profusely from his ear all the way down to his chest. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm gone. And I went right back to school and I was like, I am never doing that again. <laughs> You're fucked up. It nope, is, buddy. Nope, nope, mm. not today. Not today. Nope, mm -mm. not happening. Look, at it. I got a, I got a place to be. Those are the people that you're like, did you look at me and go, looks like there's a little scratch. Nothing I'd worry about, though. And then just like, walk you off. know what? Come home with me and let me fix that. <laughs> Thank God you didn't or we wouldn't be sitting here today. Probably. I know none of this would have happened. Jimmy, you would be having a miserable time. <laughs> <laughs> so he had given her this song and dance. That it's my family. We're starving. So she's like, well, come on down to my house. And she starts grounding. This was what, Georgia, you said? This was in West Virginia. Oh, okay. Carry on. Yeah. He asked if she had any underwear because his wife needed the underwear. Oh, my. And so she went back. to. She the, didn't go get underwear. She didn't, Tell me she didn't go get underwear. She went back to the back bedroom to see if she had some unworn <laughs> underwear and turns around and he's right there. Shocking. With a knife. He had went into the kitchen, got a knife and came right back to her. Wait a minute. Hold on. You mean she picked up a rando. Took him to her house. He asked for panties. She went and got panties. And then he just showed up in the room with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> he ordered her to undress. And when she did, he beat her until he forced oral sex on her and then raped her. And he would do that a lot. He would force his victims to perform oral sex on him. Fucking, I know you're going to kill me. I'm going to bite that bitch off. Same. 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 I'm going to Randy craft you and chew it off. One bite. That's it. Because like you said, at this point, my odds for survival are slim. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going to mar this motherfucker. You fuck me up. I'm going to fuck you up. I'm going to make sure you never do this to another person. Exactly. <sighs> Watch, I would die so fast. <laughs> Same. No, I play along long enough till I could do something to you. True. Like bite your penis off. I'm like, sure, sure. Put it in my mouth. Lorena Bobbitt. Put it in my mouth. Go Put ahead. It. Go ahead. He rode trains. He probably was so disgusting. Oh, my God. Anyways, he puts her in the shower to clean up. And then he violates her in the shower, like touching her and everything. Then he pulls her out, forced oral sex again. And uh, when he was about to rape her again, she took a ceramic duck from behind the toilet and smashed it on his head. Good for her. That's right. She was able to get to the front door with a knife, but they wrestled until he ultimately got her under his control where he tied her up and beat her with a piano seat. He then lightly sliced her throat, but was panicked because she had fought back and left. She survived, but was covered in blood, and she was able to tell the police her, her attacker's name because he had gotten the name. He had, like, told her and everything. I guess he Because he thought she was going to die. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, Bad bitch. Right? They tracked him down to Tommy's residence at the time, and he talked to his roommates, and they stated that he had come home one night covered in blood from a fight. Quotations there. I mean, it was a fight. He's not lying. Yeah. She did fight his ass. Mm -hmm. She sure did. <laughs> he took a shirt off and stuffed it into the garbage, and thankfully it was still there. They took it for evidence. He had went to his girlfriend Gina's house and called his mother asking how to butterfly cut, stating, and this was funny because, like, Gina's on the phone with his mother and his mother's like, how many cuts? And she's like, how many cut, uh, how many cuts Gina? And she goes, looks like 23. Oh my God. And she had fucked him up with that knife that she had gotten back from. She was like, hum, hum, hum. he was internally bleeding at the Good. time and his spleen and kidney were nicked. A lung collapsed and his testicles were sliced, which showed, which is how the police found him. Damn. Yeah. She fucked him up. Mm -hmm. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. And they took him and to the he hospital. Still survived. Uh, yeah. She pressed charges, but unfortunately, she had filed a previous sexual assault charge, and the defense found some psychological reports against Fabian that they used against her to make her look unstable. So the prosecution decided to go with a plea bargain, and they dropped the sexual assault, and he served time in prison. Like, nobody can be raped more than once. 
I'm so confused because they found her bloody and mm-hmm. tied up. I'm sure her house was in disarray from the struggle. He had clearly been stabbed ding, 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 a few yeah. times and her throat was slit. But they're like, she might be making this up. He didn't fall into a paper cutter. I'll tell you that. Uh, and neither did she. No. But they got it. She got he got away with it. And that's where we'll live or leave off right now until um, we go into some more of his marriages and murders. Hmm. Can't wait. How do you butterfly cut? <laughs> Becky, can you tell it's me? Just a butterfly suture that you just basically pinch it together and put this. Uh, you know what a stary strip is? Yes. It's basically stary strip in a shot. Now you guys know. That's how you butterfly a, a cut. So if you get smashed over the head with a glass duck and you need to butterfly him, you can get him at CVS Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> Not yet. Fingers crossed. Come on, guys. Yay. In the meantime, stay safe. Oh, wait, shit. That was your job. It's okay. We can switch We're a little up. rusty. We're No, I like it the way it is. Okay. I was like, oh, man. It's been a, it's been two weeks. It's not really that rusty. <laughs> no. And I mean, you listen to it, assume, but whatever. <laughs> In the meantime, stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it too close to home. But if you do, have a duck and fuck that motherfucker up. Kim, 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 Kim. And always get the balls. You're going to be singing opera. What is it? Alto? Soprano. Soprano. Soon, Jesus son. Christ. Jennifer needs to take a nap, y'all. I do. I do. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I have to piss. I've had to piss for the last I know. Days. I should have peed before I went. <laughs> I should have too. I've been sitting here like. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>